Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Just to, to bring it back to um, the discipleship target here, and this is when we're looking at cruise ship to battleship, we talk about our mission. This is the mission. And so I know I've, I've put this up here a few times, and I'll keep putting it up there, so don't worry about writing it down. By the way, there are web notes. If you're ever wanting to look for this, you just find the web notes. I put a graphic on there. Um, but we, we're not going to go through all of this right now, but it's important that we go back, because I want you to start seeing how everything's tying together. So when we talked first love, that's all that center circle, because that's the most important piece. Everything we do comes out of a response to what Jesus has already done, and we're actually moving from there. So even when we start to dry out, sometimes you go through those dry spells in life where you get stuck, whatever it might be, we're always safe going back to that center, and that's where we should always be starting. And that, that's critical. So we'll, we'll talk about that lots more. And then we have our mission, love God, love people, be discipled, make disciples. And then you just see practically what that looks like. Well, the eight renewal principles from church renewal and how we practice those things uh, within our church and within our own personal lives. Okay? So that's how it's all kind of connecting together. Uh, today what we're going to be talking about, because we've talked, you know, cruise ship to battleship. Battleships go into what? War. Yeah, that's right. So now we're talking about going into war, and that we just prayed about the mission field. So the mission field is Steinbeck and region. So we're going to war in Steinbeck. <laughs> Before you guys, you know, run out here and grab your spears, it's important that we understand who the enemy is that we're warring against and what that war looks like. I think that's a critical piece for all of us. So that's what we're going to be focusing our time on today, is, is we're going to take a look at that. Now, we are going to be looking at understanding the enemy, uh, but I, I did think it's worth noting that I actually think most of our time, you know, I hate to use the 80-20 because doesn't everyone use the 80-20 rule for everything? Probably because it works, right? It's such a good rule. Anyways, 80-20. I think 80% of our time should actually be sent, uh, spent beholding the beauty of Jesus. And, and I want to talk more about that in some of the later messages in here on, when we get into the practical side of tac the, the enemy's tactics and our strategies on countering him. I think actually it's a lack of beholding God's beauty that actually leads to a lot of our out-of-control passions that end up finding their fulfillment in the world. So anyhow, enough on that for now. We are going to go back into uh, the message for today. Scripture says, whoop, no, back here, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So the important thing to realize here is we're in a war. So you might be tempted to think, well, cruise ship to battleship, now you're saying we're going into war if we're in a battleship. No, the point is we're already in the war. Would you rather be in a cruise ship or a battleship? We're already there. We don't get an option on that. You're alive, you're breathing, you're here today, you're a human being, you're in the war. It's happening, whether you like it or not. So what we just need to decide is what vessel we're going to stay on. And, you know, years ago, um, when I uh, did kickboxing and kind of traveled around a little bit, and it was just amateur stuff. But anyways, I started off with a regular discipline of um, uh, American-style kickboxing, which is just punching and kicking. So if you're against that, don't worry, I'm not doing it anymore. We won't talk about that. For now, though, just listen to the story, Okay. Punching and kicking is rather easy. You learn it, you do some simple combinations like jab, cross, hook, kick, and you get good enough at that, and if you're a hard enough hitter, you can kind of win fights at an amateur level. It just works. So I, I got confident in myself because I kept you know, winning and, and winning fights that I shouldn't have won uh, just because I was able to, to hit hard and do that simple combo over and over, over and over and over again. Anyhow, long story sh short, 
the last fight I got into, my uh, coach and my trainer, what he had done is he changed the styles on me. Now, he told me about this beforehand, but we went to a modified Muay Thai. You're like, what is that? Basically, it just means now you have clinching, grab by the neck, pull people around, you have kneeing, and you have elbows. Following? How hard can that be? How hard can that be? You're adding elbows and knees. They don't even go as far as legs and, and hands, right? I mean, it's just shortening your, your striking distance. So I was in a different state of life at this point. I just gave my life to Christ and, you know, started working a legitimate job. And uh, we had a family at home, and then I started volunteering, and we had a cell. And I didn't have time to train, but I still kept this fight that was coming up. And I didn't think it was a big deal because I had, I had won so many already and I, I knew what I was doing. I was way overconfident. And I remember, you know, fight day comes and I'm like, this isn't going to be that bad. I just got to be able to take a punch. I can always do that. And you just got to jab, cross, hook, kick, right? It's that simple. You just do that over and over and over again and then he'll fall. Anyways, when I got into the ring, I realized I might be in a bit of trouble because he came in first off looking completely shredded, if I can use that term here. But... Uh, Ripley muscles, okay? And then he did this weird dance that was very controlled. I could tell he had very good control over his legs and feet and very good uh, flexibility. And then he pretended to shoot these arrows at me, which was somewhat awkward. I just kind of stood there and pretended to move out of the way. <laughs> Anyways, point is, we started to fight, and I couldn't hit this guy. I mean, I thought this was easy. And I couldn't hit him. I had done this before. I could always land at least a few punches, like kick. How hard can it be? This guy would bob and weave and move. And then he'd close in and he'd grab me in a clinch and I couldn't get out. And he kept me in a clinch. He hit me dirty a couple times too. But he also kept me in a clinch for basically all, all of the rounds, the duration of the fight, just kneeing me over and over and over again. So I had lots of bruises and cracked ribs and stuff like that afterwards. It was terrible. Last fight. I left. <laughs> I realized it wasn't my thing after <laughs> getting beaten. What's my point? <laughs> not that I suck at fighting. That was not the point. The point was I didn't prepare. I was overconfident or ignorant. Whatever it is, it doesn't actually matter. I wasn't prepared for the battle that I was about to, to enter. And because of that, I got soundly beaten. And I think that's true in many ways of the church because scripture tells us we're in this war and it's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Think about this. Flesh and blood, like that's the people around us, right? So we think people are hard to overcome. What do you think about cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places? Do you think that's easier or harder? Is that regular American style kickboxing or Muay Thai kickboxing? Like w which one is which here? So we don't want to be ignorant of the enemy's strategies. It's very important, right? And I think, we, you know, why are we stuck? You, you think about, think of how stuck people are right now. How many people, maybe even in here, don't raise your hands, but are struggling with addictions today? Like, you have these desires inside. You don't even know why you do it. You hate it, but you can't stop. Maybe it's your phone. You could be stuck on this thing or stuck on social media. You can't actually like live for two hours without picking it up and checking what's on your feed. And you actually feel trapped. You can't stop. Maybe it's internet pornography. Maybe it's alcohol. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's food. 
There's all sorts of things that we get stuck on, but you can't seem to, to manage it. You can't seem to get it under control. And it's, it's not for lack of desire or wanting to change. It's for lack of power to be able to change. You know, maybe it's your past that's holding you captive in the present. I know a lot of people that look weighed down. They're physically weighed down in life because they're carrying the full weight of their past. Things that happened to them years ago. And they don't know how to put them down. They can't. They would. Like, you know, I could say, well, you just got to put it down. And they'd say, yeah, if it was a backpack, I'd slide it off my shoulders and I'd put it down. I don't know how to put it down. Or maybe it's not the past. Maybe you're paralyzed by the future. The future can be terrifying. It causes us anxiety. What's going to happen tomorrow? The last two years have taught us one thing for sure, and that is you can't really trust that anything is going to be the same. Nothing is safe. We have broken relationships and shame, anger, offense. We feel empty. Or you look at the world. How much injustice is in the world? I like to follow the news because I like to see what's happening, but then I also like taking breaks from the news because it's depressing. You know where I get most of my news? Here. That's where I get news. It is so much better. There's good news in here. Amen? There's good news in here. Anyways, you know, you look at made medical assisted dying, and I've been following some of the articles that have been online there, and it's been tragic to see the kind of conversations that are being had in Canada. I saw one where they were actually talking about the, the health care savings. Our country, Canada, was talking about how we can save money. By killing the old and the weak and those that are mentally ill. That wrecked me to read that article. I was so sad for the state of our country. I was so sad for those having those conversations. How far they must be from the Lord. I just ached inside. I'm like, Lord, if they would just know you the way I know you. Anyways, you know, we all look around and we recognize something is wrong. I think everyone in here knows something is wrong. We just don't know what it is. So look at social media, and social media will tell you everything about what's wrong. That person over there is wrong. That government official is wrong. This medical system is wrong. This science, I don't agree with, that's wrong. That church is wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Your spouse is at fault. Your kids are at fault. We point to all sorts of things that are flesh and blood. What's wrong? You know, Sun Tzu uh, was a general. And he wrote the uh, famous The Art of War, and he said this, If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. But if you know yourself and not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. I think many, even inside the church, are succumbing in every battle because we're not aware of the fight that's going on around us. Or we're too distracted. There's lots of reasons. And we're going to get into the, the reasons and the traps more next week. Uh, today we're going to focus more on just understanding who our enemy is and isn't. And so that's where I want to start. The first one is, let's start with who our enemy is not. I'm not going to spend tons of time on here. But your enemy is not people. It's not the person sitting next to you, for sure. 
but it's not the government. Our enemy isn't people. Now, you might say, yeah, but we have enemies. You know, in war, there is enemies. Yeah, yeah, I get that. The people do bad things. People do bad things, and they can be like an enemy. I totally get it. They can be wicked and evil at heart. I, I totally get it. We are. We have a sin nature. We'll talk about that more at the, at the latter part of this message. But I'm telling you, people are not your true enemy. They aren't. Let's, let's look at what Scripture says. In, in Ephesians 6, 11 to 13, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The schemes of who? Let's say it together. The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where our enemy is. Now he uses people. Certainly he does. He uses corrupt systems and people. Absolutely. Absolutely you can see demonic systems set up within our world. Absolutely you can see his mark. But we have to realize that our, our fight is not against people. We're not fighting people. What we are supposed to do with those that act like they're our enemies are we're supposed to love them. And I'll get on to that in a moment. You know, if I, if I had time here, I, well, well, we'll have time later because I'll preach a lot more coming up. We'll go through the whole book of Ephesians, but it's really great. It talks about slaves and masters and husbands and wives and parents and children. And it's really good. It talks about godly living and the deeds of the flesh and idolatry. We're supposed to stand against these things and fight against sexual immorality and all that kind of stuff. And then it talks about the deeds of the Spirit. And it's all in there. And it's packed full of God's mystery plan to the world, the fullness of God in Jesus Christ and the, and the hierarchical order of the church, how the church is supposed to function. Ephesians is dynamite. However, what's interesting is where this passage comes. Right at the end, right after he talks about how, how you're supposed to live a godly life and how your relationships are supposed to look. Isn't it interesting that at the end of there, he's saying, now remember, <laughs> your fight is not against each other. It's against the real enemy, the devil. That's where your fight is against. And so what that means is you may be in a spot in your marriage where you and your spouse are at wit's end and you're, and you're butting heads. And I'm not minimizing that or saying it's not real. It is real. Absolutely it's real. But I'm telling you, brother and sister, that, that your, your spouse is not your enemy. And I think if we would actually see things the way our Lord and Savior saw things, if we would see each other the way he does, the brokenness inside that drives bad behavior... I think we wouldn't treat them like the enemy. I think we'd spend more time fasting and praying on our knees. Looking for ways to bless them. Looking for ways to encourage them. To lift them up because we would see the pain inside. Your, your kids are not your enemy. The government is not your enemy. You might say, but they do bad things. I know. And so do you. And so do I. We do. The enemy is your devil, is the devil, okay? Matthew 5, 44. All right, I got to move a little quicker here because I want to get to the end. But I say to you, love your who? Enemies. This is talking about people. This is what we do to people. So what if people mistreat me? What if they don't treat me fair? I don't like the way they said this. They should, the tone should have been different. And I know I do this too. Ask my wife. Don't, actually, don't ask her. <laughs> She does also. <laughs> Just, <laughs> oh, good old rationalization, eh? Right? Isn't that true? Like some of the 
petty things that we have fought over, like it's like you said the right thing, but your tone was maybe a little flat. Right? Come on! And then we give our heads a shake and we hug and we're like, why are we so dumb? I don't know. We're going to talk about that later. I actually do know. It's called a sin nature. We're broken. We need saving. Anyways, we love each other. That's what we do. We pray for those who persecute us. That's how a Christian responds. That's what makes us different than the world. The world gets angry. The world gets even. We turn the other cheek. We get on our knees and we plead. We look for ways to encourage. Oh, look at that. They are treating me badly. I wonder what word of encouragement I could give them that would make them maybe feel a little bit different, feel a spark of life today. That's what we do. Okay, next point. Let's actually talk about the devil. Okay, who is the enemy? Understanding our enemy. The enemy outside. So we're going to look at, because Sun Tzu talked about knowing yourself and knowing your enemy. So we're going to look at it like this. The enemy on the outside and the enemy on the inside. Okay, so we're going to look at the outside first, and the outside is the devil. He is actually our enemy. And you might say, yeah, there's other stuff and demons. Yeah, we're just summarizing right now here. The chief demon there is the devil. Okay, he is our enemy. C.S. Lewis put it this way on how we can respond to him in the screw tape letters. And he said, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about devils. This is C.S. Lewis noting it in the screw tape letters. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. Both are errors. Both will lead you into a ditch. Both will harm you. Both will harm those around you. Because whether you like it or not, we're in a war. That's what scripture says. We don't get that choice. We're here. But our Father loves us so incredibly much, he's willing to give us armor and weapons and the ability to stand firm and be victorious. If we'll do what he says. So, we don't want to land in either ditch. Now, I just want to hit one important note here on the devil made me do it, okay? So, enemy from the outside, devil made me do it. Some people get that idea. Well, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do this. He made me respond this way. I didn't have control. Let's just clear the, you know, clear the air on that one and make it very, very clear so we're all on the same page. The devil cannot make you do anything. Nothing. As powerful a being that God created him to be, God did create him, we'll talk about that in a second, as powerful a being as God created him to be, he cannot make you do anything. He can tempt you, he can try to persuade you, he can try to hurt you, but he can't make you choose sin. Okay, that's very important for us. We have choice, he has choice. All right, so when I say Satan and the devil, what comes to your mind? Don't say it all at once. Did anyone think cartoon character, a little like forky tail like this, almost looks like a mask? Maybe you're thinking of a kid in a costume. Maybe. Some of you might have had those weird horse creatures. Centaurs? What do they call them? Centaurs? There we go. But with a goat head, and you're like, oh, it's hideous. Pitchforks, flames. We think of bad movies. Child sacrifice, that's getting a little bit more eerie. Right? But it almost seems like it's fiction. It's fiction. It's make-believe. We don't really have a construct for really believing in it the way Scripture teaches it because we can't see him. And th that's a problem because Scripture actually has lots to say about him. I mean, he says he's our arch enemy. He's a deceiver and he's a, an accuser. 
Those are two of his main strategies. And that we're going to talk about more next week. We'll expand on it. But scripture actually says a lot about his character and action, what he does and what he is about. So to give you the quick origin story, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. And the origin story might raise more questions than it answers. But he was an angel. He himself was an angel. So if you're new to the idea of Satan and Christianity, Satan was an angel at one point. He was a created being that was given choice. So that's one of the things we can infer because he chose to rebel against God and lead a rebellion against God. So we don't get all the details of what that rebellion was about, but we know it must have been bad. He was kicked out of heaven for it. Okay, so that's how Satan came to be. And the first time we see him showing up in Scripture is Genesis 3, right in the first verse. Right? And we see him showing up there in the form of a snake, and he's tempting Eve. Right? So we get the, uh, where original sin comes in because Eve and Adam both sinned, and that's where original sin came in and our sin nature started. Okay? So that's, that's his origin story, but we see him working throughout the Old and New Testament. And already by, by, by verse 15, so I said verse 1 he shows up, just by the way so you can see God's sovereignty and plan over the whole thing, the gospel, as Pastor Reyes said, has, was already pronounced in Genesis 3.15. It was already said the plan for restoration, right? Because now creation was broken. The plan for restoration was already given 14 verses after Satan enters onto the scene. It was very quick. Okay, so the, the question now would be after this, what is he doing now? Like, what is Satan doing now? Well, we get some hints in Scripture. and Here it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Scary language. Think about actually seeing a lion. Actually, does anyone, by this one you can give a show of hands. Does anyone actually ever dream of that? Really? Okay, thank you. There's a couple of you. All right, someone was scratching a chin. I thought that was a hand. No, it wasn't a hand. All right, it's all good. Imagine seeing a lion, like chasing you. Like you are getting chased, roaring lion. It's like you can see the teeth and it's moving and the muscles flexing. They are such majestic creatures. And you see this thing coming. Would, would any of you stand there and wait? With a lion charging? What if, it, what if the lion wasn't charging? What if a lion just kind of walked on stage right now and then started walking down the steps? Would any of you stay seated? <laughs> Some, yes. <laughs> I would too. Okay, but most of us would run. See, that's how we would respond to a lion. Why? Because we know things about lions. First off, they don't have consciences. They don't think. And they're killers. They kill indiscriminately to eat. And sometimes just for territory. Anyways, the devil is described to us as a devil that, or, or as, a, as a lion that roar, or prowls around and roars and he's looking for someone to devour. And what Peter is instructing us here is to resist him firm in your faith. Right? We're to resist him, stand firm, is, is what it says in other passages. Resist him, firm in your faith. That's what we're supposed to do. The thing is, though, he doesn't come to us as a lion. If he did, we'd resist him. John says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we see that here. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It says that Jesus came to give life abundantly. But we get a little bit of a, uh, an understanding of why we don't see him as a lion right here. It says in 2 Corinthians, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Meaning what? Meaning he looks normal. We don't recognize him. He wants to blend in like one of us. He wants to be familiar. He wouldn't come as a lion or we'd all run away. So he comes as things that don't really seem that big of a deal. 
and he looks for ways into our lives. Okay, so we're going to take a look at a very old picture here that I, I've used a long time ago. Some of you will know it and some of you won't. Uh, but we also use it at the set free. This is a, a graphic that I did not make. Someone else had to make it. But it's nice, isn't it? I was very proud of it. Anyways, so imagine this is your house right now. You're in fall. We are in fall right now, so it actually works. Uh, are you guys having fly problems inside? Anyone here having fly problems? Oh my goodness, they are driving me nuts. At least now they're starting to get slower, so you can start murdering those little guys. Anyways. Sorry at home for those that love flies. Um, suppose now you have your house. Okay, so we have a, like, we live in Steinbach here, and our windows are now open. We've turned the AC off. Our windows are open. We get the fresh air inside. Um, but what would happen if I had a big gaping hole in one of my screens? Help me out here. Flies would come in. Right, okay, so let's, let's say, just for argument's sake here, the flies came in in the kitchen window. So that first window there, which is a hole, it should be a screen. I couldn't, I don't know how to change that, okay? I'm not very techy that way. But let's say that's a screen, that's the kitchen window. So those flies come in your kitchen window. Help me out here. Would those flies stay in the kitchen? No. You mean so they wouldn't just come into the kitchen and then stay there until they were invited into other areas of the house? No, they wouldn't. The next window there is the living room, and the final window, which you can't actually see, it's behind there, is where you sleep. And it's when you're sleeping at night, those flies that came in in the kitchen are suddenly buzzing around your head and landing on your ear or your nose right when you're about to fall asleep and they wake you up and you're annoyed beyond all reason. Has that ever happened to anyone in here? <laughs> or it happens to your spouse and you hear a... <laughs> oh, I never make Louise do that. Anyhow, so how does this relate to the enemy? Okay, so I want you to see this this way now. Okay, so if, if our house is our lives, everything that makes up who we are, right? And, and the analogy actually works. I mean, in Revelations, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and he's talking about into our lives. He's standing at the door of our lives and knocking on believers' hearts to be let in. And so th this, this house analogy actually fits biblically. But let's say here, your different rooms are things like free time, relationships, finances. Y your bedroom is their, your passions and desires. So the way this works is we're told to put on all of the armor of God so that we can stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. So when we have all of God's armor on, there's no holes in the screen he can't get in. But what the devil does, right, and he looks around and he's looking for entry points into your life and into your home. And if you give him one, if he comes in, let's say, through the kitchen, you give a little compromise in, in one area. Maybe it's, who knows what it is? Maybe it's offense. Maybe someone hurt you, legitimately hurt you. What they did is wrong, and it was wrong. I agree with you. But now you're holding on to that, and it becomes your sin now. It's, not their, it's theirs, but now it also becomes yours. And that's maybe that kitchen window. Your relationships. We'll say it's that, right? Now suddenly there's the bedroom. That's like the secret place of your heart where your desires and your passions are. But once the enemy comes in in the one area, he seems to have free reign to move into the other areas and begin wreaking havoc in a seemingly unrelated area. And suddenly you're finding yourself in years of internet pornography and you have no idea why. It makes no sense. I don't want to do it. I hate doing it. I want to stop, but I can't. That's his strategies because he masquerades as an angel of light. Now, obviously, if he was a lion, not a fly, right? If he was a lion, you would recognize where he kind of came in. It would be a big gaping hole and you'd see where he was coming from, but he's not. He's not. And we don't always get to see how he, how he works. 
So it's very important for us to understand this. I mean, Scripture uses, so we'll use this hole-in-the-screen kind of analogy, but Scripture actually has another word for it, and it's called foothold. And depending on your translation, that, that word foothold, do not give the devil a foothold, might be opportunity. Either way, it's the same thing, right? So opportunity, foothold, uh, hole in the screen. He's looking for a foothold. Uh, an example I like to use at the set free is uh, when I was a kid. So I, I was very annoying. You, I know, very hard to imagine me as being annoying. But I was. My siblings would agree. I was very annoying, highly annoying, actually. And uh, what I would do is I loved being chased. I actually loved this with <laughs> bullies, too. So I'd pick on people and then run, people that were older than me. I loved being chased. I think, is there any love being chased people in here? That, there, I got to have... There's more people. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, there's some of you in here. So you bug someone and then the chase is on, right? Because there's a real danger and there's something exhilarating about that rush. And so I'd bug my brother and he was the best one to bug. And then I would just take off. Like I'd make sure he was angry. And then I would run. And the idea would be to like get behind the door and close it because being smaller and weaker, my only hope was getting a door between us because then I could, I could keep him from from opening the handle, but the handle had to latch. If it didn't latch, then I was doomed. There was one such time where I had played floor hockey with him. Oh, we were outside playing street hockey, and uh, I was called the mad hacker. <laughs> On his ankles, bang! <laughs> and then I, I just looked at him, dropped the stick, and ran. <laughs> I ran to that door so fast, and I got there, and it was like a movie. I was fumbling, and I couldn't open it. And he, he catches up, turns me around, and just goes like this. Oof, <laughs> I dropped. It was worth it. Anyways, <laughs> that story was not part of this. On the inside, though, so you're trying to get in. So I'm bugging him, bugging him, bugging him, bugging him, bugging him. Finally, he rages and he's chasing me, right? And so I run and I try to get the door closed. If I get it closed, he can't get in. But if he gets his foot in the door before I could close it, I was doomed. Now, he had a foothold because if he got a foothold, he would start wiggling in and I just, he was bigger and stronger than I was. Right? He would muscle his way in, and then it was just turtle and take your, your licks. Right, That's how it went. So anyhow, that's how the enemy works. He only needs a foothold. That's why Scripture says, don't give him a foothold. And I mean, how do we give him a foothold? I back it up one verse in verse 26, and it says, Be angry and do not sin. Sin gives the devil a foothold. But people, we have a real problem here because we all sin. We all give the devil a foothold. That's why we see so much brokenness in our world. Unrepentant sin leaves an opening in our lives for the enemy to come in. And if we don't deal with it, he moves his way into our rooms and he begins building a controlling stronghold. Just like I said on that, it could be an offense here and an internet pornography addiction over here. That's how he works. He builds a stronghold. Once he has a stronghold, he is much more difficult to defeat. Much more difficult to defeat. Not impossible. With God, all things are possible. But he's much more difficult. That's true. So, what does a stronghold look like? A stronghold looks like a pattern of sin. Maybe a rut in your thinking. Right? It's a rut. It's a way you can't break free of thinking like this. Or you can't break free from these kind of destructive behaviors. That's what a stronghold is. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, neurons that fire together, wire together? Some of you have... Some of you are looking at me blank stairs. Okay, anyways. But if you do things, repetition, time, and focused effort neurons that fire together, right? So you do something for the first time. I ride a bike. If you keep doing that, eventually you ride a bike automatically. Those neurons that allowed you to ride the bike the first time wire together, and now you have what we call a skill. It's a memory and a skill. Your brain can now do whatever it is, ride a bike, for the rest of your life. You have that skill, 
right? And that's why you can do other things. You can talk, play on your phone while you're riding a bike. You probably shouldn't do that, but you could, right? That's how our destructive attitudes also get turned into strongholds within our own minds. That's the, on, on the brain side, okay? That's what happens, and we don't want strongholds. Once strongholds are there, they're very difficult to break. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to demolish what? Whoops. Divine power to destroy, last word there. Strongholds. Forgot I had that. I didn't, uh, should have highlighted that in there. Anyhow, that's nice. I had it on there. <laughs> Forgot I made that slide. I did this this morning. It's all good. I got distracted in worship this morning. It was very distracting, but... I wish, oh, I won't go there. <laughs> I'm get distracted again. This is why we're told, though, we have very good weapons from the Lord. One of them is confession. That's the only one I'm going to talk about today. Uh, next week, we're going to look more at the different kinds of ways because his, we've talked about understanding your enemy. Next week, I actually want to look at what are his tactics because his tactics are rather predictable. They are. And we've been given really good weapons to combat them, uh, and we can do that, but we're going to focus on that more next week other than one thing, confession. You want to know how to close a hole in a screen? Confession. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. Meaning the gavel is hit. He says, you are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You are for he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Close up the holes. He'll do it. If you confess your sins to one another. We're actually going to spend a chunk of time doing that at the prayer summit. If you want to join us, clean hands, clean heart. It's going to be an awesome way to start the year. All right, anyways, that's why we're told, though, in Ephesians 6, 11 to 13, put on the whole armor of God. That's why we need that, okay? So do not deprive one another, and this is now going into the enemy inside, uh, except perhaps on agreement. This is talking about uh, sexual relations and marriage. Uh, but right at the end here, he says, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here is the first introduction to our other enemy. Because right now we've been looking at the enemy on the outside, the devil, but you can't say the devil made me do it because there is another, there's another enemy and that is the enemy on the inside and that's our flesh. And that's what Paul's talking about here, right? So the flesh, the, the Greek word there is sarx and it's translated a few different ways uh, within your Bibles in the New Testament. Um, that's the only place that you'll find Greek. But you'll see it in Romans lots and you'll see it in Galatians. Uh, it's often translated as the flesh or sinful nature. And basically what it means, it, it will often refer to our earthly bodies. So you'll see it that way as well. But when talking about our sin nature, it's referring to the human nature apart from God's influence so that it's, it's prone to sin. Right? It also talks about our animalistic urges and desires is often also called the sarx or the flesh. Right? So the flesh is our sinful nature, and we won't have time to go into the full story of the flesh, but we are going to look at the, the specific strategies next week. But where we see this get broken is right back into Genesis. So now we go back into the beginning of our Bible, and we see Eve and Adam being tempted. Eve specifically was tempted by Satan, and she gives in, and then she tempts Adam. They both sin. Equally responsible, they both sin. Sin enters the world. Our nature becomes corrupted. We're no longer the same as we were. Okay, that is the problem that all of us have. Romans 8, 6 to 8 says this. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we have the spirit, which longs to do righteousness and do the things of the spirit. And then we have the flesh, 
which is prone to sinful behaviors and sinful actions and sinful thoughts. And according to scripture, we cannot, those who are in the flesh, if we're operating in the flesh and, and being slaves to our earthly desires like that, it says we cannot please God that way, right? Because our flesh does not submit to God. Going a little further into verse 13, and it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Confession is one of the ways that we do that. Repentance is actually even a better way to describe it because it entails the confession part, but also the turning. Right? When we turn from those sinful desires, we confess them and then we turn and walk towards Jesus. That is probably the best way to put, the, put to death the deeds of the body. So that is our other uh, problem. So now what we're going to look at, though, is temptation. Because I want us to understand this piece of it. It's very, very important for us. Because sometimes we look at, you know, that, that passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5. Uh, Do not deprive each other for too long so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So... We look at, okay, temptation all comes from the devil. So the devil's making me do it. We're back to that, right? Temptation. So temptation is wrong. And, and many people will actually feel, and that's why I want to uh, park on this temptation piece uh, for a few minutes here. Many people have told me when they feel tempted, they feel like they've already fallen into sin. Or they feel like the devil's forcing them to do something. Either way, it's important that we understand temptation and our sin nature and our flesh, and we see it the way Scripture actually teaches it. So in James... We get this. Each person is tempted. So uh, right before this, it says, no one should say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So we know that God doesn't tempt anyone. It says, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So God's not tempting you. He may test us. He may try us. He may refine us, but he does not tempt you. He will never tempt you to do evil. Never. Some of you say, okay, if it's not God, then it's the devil. Well, it's not quite that simple. He says here, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own, what? Desire. So temptation only works because it's tempting me in one of my own desires. D does that make sense? So it's my own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. All right, so this is how this is going to work. So it's, it's important that we get this. Distorted desires lead to us being tempted. Temptation in and of itself is not sinful. Now hold on. Lust is sinful, right? Jesus said in Matthew, he says, you've heard the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery, but I say, do not even look at a woman with lustful intent. For anyone who has looked at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so we know Jesus says, okay, well, isn't that temptation? You've had a lustful thought? Well, a lustful thought can be temptation, but I want you to see the difference. Temptation only becomes sin when you act upon it. When you, are, when you have a lustful thought and you begin to focus on that lustful thought, it's called fantasy. That's where it becomes sinful. If you have a random thought that is sinful and you're repulsed by it and you say no, you do what Scripture says and you take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ, and you turn away from that thing, that, that isn't sin. And the reason why I'm parking on this is because I've seen too many people stay trapped for the simple reason that they don't understand this truth. So the Lord actually begins giving them freedom, but they, they feel trapped because they don't, like, I shouldn't be looking at pornography anymore. I shouldn't be angry outbursts anymore. But now they're in that moment, and they feel that old urge come back, and they feel like, oh, see, I must still be trapped. I'm still, I wasn't broken free, so now I might as well just behave on it anyways. And it's not that way. 
It's not that way. So you can have temptation, and the, the devil will put temptation, and he'll try to deceive you, and he'll try to play on your distorted desires. That is very much what he tries to do. So when you act upon those internally by focusing on them and on, fantasizing on them, right, then they become sinful, or when you act upon them externally. That's when temptation becomes sin. Is that clear? I just want that to be really clear. I don't want you guys staying unnecessarily enslaved to the enemy. Now, sin... Right? It says, it, when, uh, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown. That's an interesting way of putting it, right? Because you have sin, sin is already bad, but sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. What is he talking about? It's the same language used for foothold and stronghold. Right? You have a foothold, right? I talked about my brother getting his foot in the door, and if you got his foot in the door, and I wasn't able to remove the foot... Very soon he'd get his shoulder in, he'd be in, he'd build a stronghold, and I was doomed. Right now we were down to tuck and curl. That's exactly what we're talking about here. So we have temptation. When we act upon temptation, that becomes sin. If we don't deal with that sin, that sin will bear death in our lives. And yeah, there is physical death, but think mental, like death mentally or emotionally or spiritually or turning into what we call a stronghold. And now suddenly you begin to get enslaved to patterns or ruts of thinking, patterns of shame, or patterns of bad behaviors or reactions. And that's really what James is talking about. So it's very important that we understand the way this works inside of our sin nature so that we can look at how we can break free. Now, confession is the most basic way that we're going to be dealing with sin. It is. There's other weapons that we'll talk about, and next week we are going to go more onto some of his... I, I wanted to get to it this week, and there just wasn't enough time. I didn't want to start unpacking it and not be able to finish. But uh, I want to look at the way he uses deception. That's one of his key tools. Offense, pride, and compromise. Those are some of the biggest ones uh, that he uses incredibly effectively on, on believers and non-believers to create all sorts of distorted ideas and behaviors in our lives. But the confession part is the basic key. And that's what I wanted to focus on today. And that's what we're going to look at in the prayer summit. But what we have looked at today then is those three main points. Who our enemy is not. So who is not our enemy? Who's not our enemy? That includes your spouse. That includes your friend. That includes your boss that hurt you. The coworker that said things behind your back. the government that you don't agree with. They're not your enemy. For those of you that know Jesus already, it's critical that we don't see people as our enemy. We have to seek to look at people through the eyes of Jesus. I mean, think about this. Those that don't know him, that don't find him in this, in this life, will spend an eternity apart from him in a place called hell. Our hearts should break for those that we see as behaving like an enemy in this world. So how do we turn this around? Well, we're supposed to be known for our love. It's one of the things I want to get onto when we talk about offenses. I want to push the idea and, and get, I've been praying about it already, but what a goal would it be to, to hit a place where we were unoffendable? where it didn't matter what other people did outside. We were unoffendable. We were so secure in our relationship with Jesus. And instead of fighting with our words and our actions, we would fight rather on our knees in prayer and our actions by loving those who mistreat us. What would that look like? So our enemy is not people. 
We have two enemies. On the outside, it is the devil and his schemes, and we're going to learn more about those next week. On the inside, we have our flesh. We have a sin nature. It is true. You know, sometimes people will say things like, you're good just the way you are. That's a cultural lie. You're not. You're broken. But there's good news. Jesus actually came to put together broken people. He came to save us and restore us. You don't have to stay that way. Certainly not now and absolutely not for eternity. You don't have to fix it all first. He'll come and take you just as you are. I don't care how broken you are. I don't care what you've done. He will take you exactly the way you are. But you have to receive that invitation by faith. You see, sin has infected us and infected our world. And the problem is not just external. We can't point fingers at everyone else. The problem lies also in here. It's internal. Scripture says, for all have sinned. Who does that include? All of us. All fall short of God's glorious standards. And the wages of that sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I thought we'd end today by doing a recommitment of our lives to the Lord. We've been saying, doing that lots all month, haven't we? Saying yes to him. Let's go right back to that. But maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you actually don't know him. And something, you maybe couldn't even hear anything that I've said all message long. You've just sat here and felt uncomfortable and you've no idea why. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit standing at the door of your heart, knocking to get in. You don't have to fix everything first. You don't have to change first, but you do have to receive him. So could you bow your heads with me now? Lord, if there are those in here that don't know you, this prayer is for them. Jesus, today I recognize that I'm a sinner and that the problem in this world, I'm, I'm actually part of that problem. I'm part of the brokenness. And Jesus, I'm here because I, I was curious, but I'm realizing that there is actually only one hope in this world. It's not a new political system. It's not that my spouse changes or that my friends start acting differently or that my boss changes. Our hope is actually you. There's only one Savior who is Lord over all. Today, Jesus, I declare that I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins, that you paid the debt that I would have had to pay, and that you now reign in heaven. You are alive, reigning in heaven. And today I receive that gift of salvation. And I thank you for the gift. And I thank you for the sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to pray for the rest of you now. If you just said that prayer for the first time, please let me know or let someone know so that we can help you on your journey. Lord, for the rest of us, we're sitting in here. We're sinners too. We're in just as much need of grace as anybody else. Lord, right now today, if we have blamed others for the, for the bad condition in this world, if we have blamed our spouse for the pain that we feel, if we've blamed our kids or blamed our friends or blamed our parents, if we've been blaming our boss or coworker, whoever it is, Today, Lord, we repent of that. We don't want to put the blame anywhere else. We recognize that we too need grace. We too are broken on the inside. 
So Lord, would you forgive us our sins and give us the strength to forgive others the way you have forgiven us to show grace. And then Lord, we ask that you would take not your Holy Spirit from us the way uh, uh, David prayed in the Psalms, but that you would give us more of your Holy Spirit. Empower us to love others, to love you, and to make you known to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.